Today, though, I want to change up just a little bit before we let the kids go. Don't worry, I haven't forgotten you, children. Um, Instead of hearing the prayers of the people, we, I've invited one of our people to come and share about prayer. And so Josh Cobb, come on up. And uh, Josh is a great friend. If you have not got to know this guy, then flat out you should. I mean, he's just a wonderful guy, great friend, and has been a part of our church for almost three years. Is that what we're coming up on? And his wonderful wife, Ariana, and uh, daughter, Olivia, and Caleb is probably over in child care this morning. And uh, this is just a great family. Um, This week, uh, well, Josh and I talk all the time about stuff, and it's just been such a joy for me to be a part of his journey of faith and just watching how God has been at work in his life over these years. But this week, here, this is for you, and it's turned on. Um... This week, Josh came to our first Wednesday's prayer time, and uh, maybe you've heard me talk about that before. I don't may, <laughs> maybe. Has anybody ever heard me mention that? Yeah, okay. Uh, we have a monthly prayer time, the first Wednesday of every month, and we meet for prayer in, early in the morning and in the middle of the day and in the evening, and we invite people to, to fast along with that prayer time. We've been doing it for a few years. But this Wednesday uh, at 6.30 in the morning, uh, Josh showed up first time. And so I just, uh, and then he emailed me later on and I said, could you just maybe take that email and share it a little bit? But I want to lead up to that a little bit. So share about what sparked you this time. What was the motivation? And I know you're a very busy man. You're all over the place during the week with work and family. But um, what was it that said, uh, I'll be there this time? Can you... I, I had a good friend of mine many years ago. He's no longer with us, but he, uh, he used to tell me something that I thought was words of wisdom, and his words of wisdom were, if you get comfortable with something, like something's wrong, mm. you should be uncomfortable. Mm. So he used to describe it as a circle, and if you're in your comfort zone all the time, mm-hmm. think about stepping out of that comfort zone. And for me, uh, prayer has been something that I've always taken as like a casual afterthought in my life. I've never really thought about it much as something serious. And so to come to a public place, and I I don't know about you, Pastor James, but to come to to church and sanctuary and to sit next to a prayer leader, an experienced prayer leader like yourself with other people and pray out loud was something that was definitely outside of my comfort zone. And so that really is what drew me to do it. Um, I think also, obviously, I think the grace aspect of it, Mm -hmm. the welcoming of it, the, yeah. the community here. So yeah. those were the factors. So I really wanted to do that because I wanted to transform myself from thinking about prayer as casual like some, to something, well, to, to what it really is, which is real serious business. Mm. And uh, so that's, that was my motivation. Wonderful. That's awesome. So then share just a little bit about the actual experience. And yes, don't forget the side section over there since that's where you come from. Those are your people. Um, What's up? <laughs> Shout out to the side section. Um, talk a little bit about the experience, Josh. You, you showed up here at 6.30 and there's a, a semicircle here, four or five people around it and a very intimidating, I'm sure. Um, Maybe not, but uh, talk about the experience, just coming into it, and just how you proceeded through that that hour of prayer together. Yeah, so I have to say it was very welcoming. Um, it was very um, 
it was very pleasant, actually. So the environment, the people that were here, um, the format, um, all of it was um, lovely. It was, it was really nice. Um, but I got, into, I got into a moment where I had a little bit of, I panicked a little bit because everyone seemed so versed and experienced in praying, and I, I'm not, especially out loud. And so I remember just sitting in the chair thinking, what am I going to say? What am I going to say? What am I going to say? <laughs> What's a good prayer? And <laughs> I got to come up with something good. <laughs> Nobody has ever felt like that, right? Nobody. Everyone in this right. room is like, thank right. you, Josh. Right. That's how I feel. Uh, <laughs> and then a couple of moments, there were times when I was, when I was ready, and then and someone else was inspired to pray, and there were a couple of moments like that, and I just kind of had to relax, and I had to calm myself down, and I had to ultimately... Um, ask, actually. I actually prayed quietly on what I should pray. And after a few minutes, it came to me of what would be an appropriate prayer as my first prayer out loud ever in my life. And so that's what I prayed. Mm -hmm. Which I began, which I believe began with the words, Lord, as you know, this is my first prayer out loud. That's right. Awesome. (laughs) Awesome. And I, and I, and I prayed, um, I prayed I prayed that um, God would help me to learn how to pray mm-hmm. in a pleasing way to him That's right. and in a powerful way for our community. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It was, uh, it, there was a moment around the circle where everyone felt like they were on sort of, of holy ground in a sense, but especially Josh holy ground. It was like we got to share that moment with him, and I've actually had that chance to share that moment with a few people that have come to these first Wednesday prayer times to, you know, it just took you about a half an hour to pray. For some, it's taken a few weeks or a few months, you know, to come back and then to finally be ready to, to say that prayer out loud. And, and we quickly affirmed that one prayer is not better than the other. A, a loud prayer is not necessarily better than a quiet prayer, but for, for Josh and for others to take that that step out of the circle of comfort, the, the uh, what do you call that? Comfort. Comfort zone. Zone, the zone of comfort. <laughs> I knew it wasn't a circle of comfort. It's a zone of comfort. Josh, the, um, the, the morning, the prayer, it, it, it rang out throughout the day, though, at some level in your life. And uh, just talk a little bit about how then that experience, that moment, that time together continue to impact because this is one of the things that we've been trying to say over these weeks is that it's not only that that the moment of prayer changes things as we interact with God but it's the experience of prayer changes us as we give God access to us so talk a little bit about that I I just want to say up front like I am so amateur Um, I I I I don't feel like at all like I'm in a position to teach anybody anything and I'm just testifying about my I just want to make that clear because But, but the, um, uh, and I think we've all heard various versions of this, but the, the tighter you hold onto the steering wheel, the more you try to control your life. Sometimes the harder things are to deal with, and the, the bigger the burden, the, the, the bigger the weight. Mm-hmm. And so um, I felt like I had let go of that grip mm-hmm. on my life a little bit, and that I turned over, you know, uh, some control yeah. to 
to outside of me, to God. Yeah. And so that's an unburdening, that's an unwinding of pressure and anxiety. And it's a, it's a letting go in a beautiful way that's meant to be for all of us. Yeah. And so the rest of the day, I, I didn't really realize it until like seven or eight o'clock at night. I thought, wow, this day feels lighter and easier and better. And it's because I've let go of something that I was holding on to very tightly. And so that was really a huge thing for me, an experience. I, and that was when I wrote the email to you, because I thought, I've actually, this has all come now back to me at the end of the day. Because we get busy during the middle of the day, and it was like, bam, it just hit me. And I, that was why I wrote the email to you. Awesome. Thank you, Josh, for your faithfulness and for being willing to share this morning. Let me pray for you and for us. God, thanks so much for this testimony. And uh, we can talk all about prayer that we want to. But it's when we enter into it that we begin to experience uh, new newness as we, as we have this sense of interacting with you and with your people at a, at a new place, at a new level, as we have this sense of you uh, gaining a greater access to our hearts and lives as we loosen uh, control and loosen our grip on our lives. Um, and I'm just so grateful, God, for Josh and his uh, willingness to share, and even more so for his willingness just to continue to put himself in the places where you can be at work in his life. And I would just pray that for all of us, whether that's in a prayer meeting or just in a personal quiet time or whether that's in a worship service or whether that's on the job or uh, in school, wherever we might be, that, that we might be finding those places and creating that space, God, in which you might be able to come and to stir and to awaken and to love, and to teach, and to shape us. Um, so, so we give ourselves to that, even again here this morning. I, I do thank you for each one here, and where they are, where each individual is on their own journey of faith, and on their own journey of prayer. And I pray that uh, over these weeks, and even today, as we wrap this series up, God, that we would be people who, as Josh made mention of, would recognize that prayer is not just a casual thing not just an afterthought, not just something that we tag on to the day or tag on to the, the, the experience, but that it is central. It's to be really our, our first instinct, God, in, in, throughout the course of life that we might come and commune with you. So be with us even now as we do that and uh, bless our time, Lord Jesus. May it be pleasing to you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's give Josh a little thanks, can we? Thank you, brother. You did it. Awesome. All right, kids, you can be dismissed for Children's Church. And I guess the moral of that story is be careful if you send an email to Pastor James. <laughs> you might end up sharing on Sunday morning. Um, actually, please do. It's one of the greatest joys of my life. And... Uh, when I'm able to hear from you, not just the problems, it's okay if you need to share me the pro with me the problems, that's important, um, but when, when God does something or stirs something or awakens something in your heart, it's always fun to hear about. Um, well, it has been a lot of fun to, to preach about prayer, and believe me, we have been praying about preaching as well. It's one of the things that that uh, I do and I know our other preachers, we, we just encourage uh, everyone who stands up here to be sure to have 
have bathed, that's an old Christian saying, to have bathed everything that we do up here in prayer. And uh, if that sounds really weird to you, <laughs> then uh, I'm sorry. That just means to have covered everything that we do up here in prayer, to have prayed about our preaching and to be able to preach about prayer, it's a special joy because this is, as we've already said, where the rubber meets the road. I mean, this is, this is life. This is the Christian journey. And, and if this isn't a significant part of who we are and who we're becoming as followers of Jesus, then we're, we're not hitting on all cylinders. We're, we're missing the mark. And so we've wanted to give our attention to that. I've been so thankful to Aaron and Danny and Michelle. They've done such a great job of drawing our attention to Scripture and to some of the prayers that have been prayed in Scripture, some of the wonderful people that have prayed these prayers. They've helped us uh, not only to be uh, um, um, to receive insight into what kinds of prayers we might pray, but hopefully to be inspired as well, to, to actually pray those prayers and to hit our knees when necessary and to, to, to pull away from the daily routine of life or in, right in the very middle of it and to, to decide that that's a moment when we're going to interact and, and commune with God. So uh, again, we've been reminded that prayer is not something just for the really committed Christians, whoever they might be, or just for the pastors or for the church leaders, but it's for the people not to be taken lightly, not to be dumbed down, but also not to be placed, and I hope that we've succeeded in this, not to be placed on such a high shelf, you know, like when you're in the grocery store and, and you're, they, they put all the things that kids might want low so that kids can get to them, they can see them. And parents, we wish that they would put them up high so they couldn't get to them so easily. But prayer, we want to get down to the low shelf, so that children and teenagers and new Christians and older Christians and all of us might be able to access it and understand it and be able to tap into this amazing gift that God has given to us in, in prayer. Uh, in the end, it is simply talking and listening to God. And again, the title of our series has served to declare each Sunday that prayer is of the people, and it's for the people, and it's by the people. That sounds like a political speech, but it's not. It's about prayer. It's something that we're all encouraged to engage in. Prayers of, of confession, prayers for courage and mission, prayers of desperation and disappointment, prayers of submission and dedication, and so many other prayers. In fact, the Bible is chock full of prayers. We have barely scratched the surface if we were to continue on with this series and try to get to all the prayers in Scripture, we'd be here for weeks and months and maybe a whole year, if not longer. Just I encourage you to continue to mine the Scriptures for great prayers. But I want to finish uh, today with a very significant prayer. There are wonderful prayers from Jesus, wonderful prayers from Paul, all throughout the New Testament and others in the Old Testament. I want to finish today with a prayer from Moses. And today I want to be sure, as we've tried to do throughout to highlight both um, the, the kind of prayer that he prays, its style, its, its character, this, this model of prayer that we might be able to follow and, and, and lean into, but also the substance of the prayer, what it's all about. What is he praying for and how should we hold on to that as well? So we're going to read from Exodus chapter 33. Today, If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there, open that up, and you can follow along. If you don't, you can uh, look to the screen. 
but we're going to read uh, verses 1 to 23. That happens to be the whole chapter. Uh, stand with me as I read. Exodus chapter 33, verses 1 to 23. The Lord said to Moses, get going. You and the people you brought... i, I got to slow that down. Get going. You and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt... Who brought who up from the land of Egypt? It's like God brought the people of Israel up from the land of Egypt. But now he's saying Moses did it. This might give you some foreshadowing of how God feels about this situation. Uh, Go up to the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them, I will give this land to your descendants, and I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, some of my favorite people, go up to this land that flows with milk and honey, but I will not travel among you, for you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I did, I would surely destroy you along the way. You catch that? It's grace that I'm not going with you, God says. It's just another example of my gracious personhood, because if I did, you wouldn't make it. When the people heard these stern words, verse 4, they went into mourning and stopped wearing their jewelry and fine clothes. For the Lord had told Moses to tell them, you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I were to travel with you for even a moment, I would destroy you. See how it gets a little stronger when Moses passes the word on? Just a moment and he would destroy them. Uh, Remove your jewelry. And find clothes while I decide what to do with you. Oh, man. So from the time they left Mount Sinai, the Israelites wore no more jewelry or fine clothes. Now, verse 7, it was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. Everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up. And stand in the entrances of their own tents, and they would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents. It's curious to me, what is it? Would they stand or would they bow down? They stood and then they bowed down in front of their own tents. Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. One day, presumably in this tent of meeting, it's not in there, but we can uh, assume that or guess that, Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me Take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me, I know you by name, and I look favorably on you. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. 
Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us, for your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth? The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you and I know you by name. Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose, but you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, look, stand near me on this rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. What a passage. What a prayer. I remember the first time that, that uh, I remember the experience or had the feeling of being lost, being alone, really alone. And, and uh, some of you have gotten lost before. You've been somewhere and then suddenly you didn't know where you were. And uh, it's, uh, it's not a good feeling. And I was probably three or four years old. I've shared this story a long time ago. Um, some of you may remember it. But I was probably three or four years old, and I was with my family, and we were in a shopping mall. And uh, I like to think that my parents weren't paying attention. I, it's probably the other way around. Probably I was just running around. And uh, you know those, those clothes racks can be very interesting to a three- or four-year-old little boy. And so my parents did, I do remember, they ran into some friends, and uh, they were chatting with them, and I started playing around the racks, and in the racks, and, you know, hiding in them, and coming up, and seeing where I was, and what I think probably happened is that that as they chatted, I just began to move rack to the next rack, to the next rack, and was running around, and I probably turned some corner somewhere, and they didn't notice it, and I looked around and realized that I didn't see anybody I knew anywhere within eyeshot. And so what did I do, as any good three- or four-year-old kid might do? I just started to cry. I just, <laughs> and I started wailing, and this is probably why this is imprinted on my memory at some level. It's a very traumatic psychological experience. But um, I started wailing and crying, and sooner or later they had to keep the peace, so a salesperson found me and kind of guided me over to the register, and I remember them setting me up on the counter there, and I just have this image of me just bawling my head off in the middle of, it was either J.C. Penney or Sears, that's all they had in, uh, in Idaho, uh, shopping malls back then, but we, I, I just wailing my head off, and then the sooner they were asking me my name, and I was having trouble remembering it, but I got it out, and, and before long, I heard my name being spoken over the loudspeaker in JCPenney, with the parents of Jamie Kinsler, please come to Women's Shoes, or wherever I was, and, uh, and my parents came, and they found me, and soon I, you know, stopped crying. And what I think happened is I'm not even sure my parents knew I was lost, which is really pretty funny about that. And if you ever listen to this, mom and dad, sorry if I'm throwing you under the bus, but uh, I don't even think, I think they were just chatting and I was probably only gone for, you know, a, a couple minutes, if that, and they probably thought I was just playing in the racks somewhere. But to me, 
man, I was in an unknown land among unknown people. I was isolated. I was afraid. And I was alone. And, and the very presence of my parents and presence of people that I knew and of situations that were familiar to me had suddenly, in just a moment, become absence. And I was filled with absence, if that's even a possibility. <laughs> Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. We, we even as a community of faith, perhaps know a little bit of what I'm talking about. To, to be in, at one moment, walking with God, at one season of life, perhaps really connected with Him, and then to take a turn, and whether it's your turn or His turn or what the turn might be, just a, just a little side note, it's probably your turn and not His turn, but, but to take a turn and suddenly find ourselves removed from that presence of God that we had so deeply clung to and so deeply needed and so deeply depended on. And, and not only as individuals, but as, again, a community of faith, how easily this could happen for a church family to be walking in step with God and then for certain things to happen or for certain turns to, to make or certain attitudes to expose, be exposed. And, and suddenly a, an entire community of faith could be, could be experiencing not the presence of God, but the, the removal of his presence, that, that absence of, of God. Well, the Israelite people had made God mad. Um, it isn't easy to do, but it's possible. And uh, it definitely happens throughout Scripture. And here's another case of it. They, they proved that it was possible. God had delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He had led them through the wilderness. It was his presence that had, that had guided them and made it possible for them to cross over the Red Sea on on, on dry ground, it was, it was God who had uh, guided them, um, summoned them to Moses to Mount Sinai. It, had, it was God who had entered into this covenant relationship with them, given them the law by which they might live in relationship with him, the Ten Commandments. It was, it was God who had said, I will be your, your God, and, and all I invite you, I don't even ask you, I just invite you to be my people. I'll be your God, you be my people. It'll be this wonderful covenantal relationship. But the story goes that many of you are familiar with it. As Moses was on Mount Sinai receiving those Ten Commandments, that law, the people below began to get a little bit anxious, a lot anxious. And they wondered what they should do and if that Moses guy, that's literally kind of how it reads, if, if that Moses fellow, you know, the one who helped lead you from slavery, who had suddenly become very unfamiliar to them, if that Moses fellow, we don't even know if he's alive. So, so Aaron, man in two, not you Aaron, sorry, this isn't a great use of your name. Because Aaron, they said, Aaron, fashion us some, some other gods. And so as Aaron would later report it to Moses, you know, we just took our jewelry off, we threw them into the fire, and voila, out came a golden calf. I don't know how it happened, Moses. We just threw it in there, and out it came. And, and it says that they began to worship this golden calf, and they bowed down to it, and they were, became um, loyal to it in Moses' absence. They, they disavowed their relationship, their covenant relationship with God. He hadn't changed. He hadn't made a turn, but they made a turn. And now God was upset. <laughs> now God was angry, and God was responding 
uh, to this situation as he spoke with Moses here at the beginning of chapter 33. Uh, Again, somewhat a a demonstration of God's mercy and grace. Though the covenant had been broken, though the people, according to the covenant stipulations, did not deserve anything at this point. They had turned away. They had broken the covenant. And though they did that, God still gives them a promise. He tells Moses, go ahead, take them up. Take the land that I promised to you. Take the promised land flowing with milk and honey. I will not only give this land to you, but I will send an angel. I will send a messenger. I will send one of my representatives to help you in that journey. He could have said, deals off completely. But I'll still give you this, he says, a wonderful demonstration of God's mercy and grace, even in our brokenness and our choices against him. He's always reaching to us, always extending himself to us. Uh, but I will not go with you, he said. I'll, you, you can have the land. I'll make sure you get it. I'll send you an angel to guide you. I'll help you out, but I won't be there. I won't be there because I know you're stubborn and rebellious, and I don't want to destroy you along the way. This is hard news. This nation of Israel, this people of God, who had only to this point known the presence of God, who had only to this point known him with them, leading them, guiding them at each step, um, bringing manna to them from heaven, water from the rock, so graciously and powerfully led by the guiding presence. Now they're being told that they could go the rest of the way on their own. They'd be on their own together, sure. Yes, they were. They still had Moses. They even had an angel. But in the midst of this great crowd of people, they would be alone. The God who had been known by his presence would be now conspicuous by his absence. But for Moses, this does not seem like a satisfactory response from God. And so we've been given this information, this little interlude really right in the middle of our story we get these several verses about the tent of meeting and and scholars kind of look at that and say well it's just kind of an add-in in there to talk about just what kind of a relationship Moses had with God and the kind of interaction that it was accessible to him and really accessible to all of God's people where they would set aside this tent of meeting and Moses could enter into it. And I just love the, the drama of that scene as, as Moses is walking near the tent and all the people are approaching the entrance of theirs and they're watching up on their raised toes and, and to see what might happen as, as Moses enters into that tent. And, and we know that we're, we're told that, that Moses would speak to God face to face. We're told later in this very same passage that anyone who actually spoke or saw God's face would not survive. So we think that that means more so like kind of suggests the idea that this was a very intimate conversation. And perhaps the next description is one that helps us best, that that they spoke to each other as friend to friend. Isn't that beautiful? We used to sing a song up here, I'm a friend of God. Do you remember that? It was like, it was like... It was like jazzercise set to worship music. It was this really upbeat song. But every time I would sing that song, I would think about this scene, which, by the way, in our church we call Nazarcise, just to let you know. <laughs> eh, 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 eh. Sorry. Um, but, uh, oh man, I hate it when I do that because I totally lose my train of thought. 
Uh, I used to love that song because I would think about this scene of Moses and God, and I would think about not only the access that Moses had to God, but the access that this model, this example, seems to communicate that we might have as well. You believe in a prayer meeting, a half circle filled with people, or in a worship service, or in a prayers of the people, or in your own private devotion, that you might have your own little tent of meeting, that we might have our own little tent of meeting by which we might speak to the Lord as friend to friend, that he would be so gracious, so receptive, so open, so kind, knowing that he already knows everything that we know, everything that we might ask, and yet he invites us into that relationship, he invites us into that interaction. How kind and gracious is our God that we might be called friends of God, just as Moses was. And so we, we know that he speaks in this, in this uh, he comes into this, this tent of meeting and, he, and he's talking to the Lord about this situation and uh, he's not satisfied with what God has come up with. And, and just in speaking about this, this tent of meeting where conversation and interaction would take place, I just want to introduce a word to you. Most of you know this word. But what Moses is doing here is he is, he is interceding for the people. It's, it's a really important word in prayer. In fact, there's a longer word. We call it intercessory prayer. And, and intercessory prayer simply means, we, we've had it defined very beautifully by this picture of Moses in this scene. It means to, to enter into that middle place between a certain person or a certain group of people or even a situation and to stand in that middle place between that person or that situation and God and to be the one who would, who would stand in that gap and intercede to pray for this situation and to represent them or that situation on its behalf to God. To intercede. And that's what Moses does. And we see throughout this passage of Scripture how even when, I hope you noticed it by the way that I read it, even when God seems to respond to him and say, yeah, Moses, I'll take care of you. It's okay. I'll take care of you. You see how Moses every time keeps saying, no, no, no. It's not about me, God. I know that. And I'm thankful for that. But it's about us. It's about this people that I'm praying for. It's about this people that you've given me responsibility for, and I can't stop praying for them, for this situation, until I hear your answer. I'd encourage you, many of you, light a candle every Sunday. And this isn't some kind of magic potion down here. I hope you know that. We don't believe that by lighting a candle we somehow force God's hand or we kind of, you know, are saying abracadabra, but we're just lighting that candle every Sunday. Some of us, as we pray for situations, just a reminder, a symbol of the fact that we believe that God wants to shine his light into a person's life or into a situation in which there's darkness right now. And some of you have been lighting a candle or some of you have been coming to kneel in prayer. Some of you have been praying for a long time for one particular person. I've heard great stories of people, and some of them, of them are sitting right here in front of me who were prayed for for a long time by certain people. Amen? Can I get an amen? Anybody here been prayed for by people? Anybody here be currently praying for people? Yes. We're praying and we're believing, and I would just encourage you, and I hope Moses' example of intercessory prayer, this, this stubborn refusal to give up, 
He gets a partial answer. Well, let me ask again, God. He gets another partial answer. Well, let me just one more. Just to keep pressing, to keep pushing in. I, several years ago, I was on this, uh, this committee for the YMCA, and they have this Good Friday breakfast. And several of you have been to the Good Friday breakfast, perhaps. And when I first went a number of years ago, it was like scrambled eggs, and they weren't very good. And it was at the YMCA in the multipurpose room. And it was like five bucks. Now it's at the Fest Parker, and it's uh, really fancy scrambled eggs and uh, pastries. And it's a little bit more than five bucks. But I was on this committee when they were deciding to transition from the rescue, or from the, sorry, from the YMCA to the Fest Parker. And I quickly became familiar with a term that I had not ever heard before. And I just hadn't hung out in sort of these types of circles very much. But as I sat in these committee meetings, and to be honest, I was kind of the, the um, just the, you know, the, the pastor. I was like the, the church guy on the scene. Um, and so I, I just listened most of the time. And then they would start to talk about planning the service and getting a speaker. And they'd be like, okay, James, now you might have something to say to us about this. Uh, but, but, but I heard them talk about um, getting uh, sponsors for the breakfast and getting people to, to buy tables for the breakfast because now you couldn't just buy a $5 ticket. You had to buy a $250 table. And, and I heard them talk about asking certain speakers to participate and other public dignitaries to participate in the service or in the, the breakfast. And, and, and this little phrase began to sneak out uh, in the conversation, and they would look at each other and say, will you make the ask for that? Well, will you make the ask for that? ASK, by the way, if you're not hearing. Will you, will you <laughs> make... <laughs> will you... <laughs> will you... Uh, yeah, I can make the ask for that. Yeah, okay, I'll make the ask for that. And, and I'm thinking, what is this make the ask business? And, and I quickly began to realize that sometimes it was one person that they would make the phone call and say, well, I went to your thing, so you need to go to my thing. And other times it was, well, two of us should probably go to this person so we can go and really bring home the ask. And, and it was just this, this request, this, this invitation to participate at a very high level, either, whether financially or personally, to invest in what was going on here. I've heard it spoken of more now in other sort of fundraising circles. And one I actually heard just this week, and the person talking about fundraising said, you know, never say no for the person. Just before you even ask them, sometimes Fundraisers will just say no in their minds. Uh, they, they're not going to give. They're not going to be a part of this. So I just, I won't even ask them. And this person was saying, well, philanthropy, and that just means giving of your money. Philanthropy is, is 100% voluntary. I love that. And, and so just, just ask and let them say no. And our feelings won't be hurt if they say no, but at least we'll let them say no and we won't say it ourselves. It, All this was kind of resonating in my heart this week as I read this story. And Moses was one, and I would invite, I think he sets the tone for all of us, to pray in such a way that we don't say no for God. 
before he might redirect himself. If he wants to say no and, and say this instead or point us in a new direction or just flat out say no, go back to where you came from, then I'll let him do that. Let's let him do that. But Moses shows us here, don't say no for him before he says it. Ask. Make the ask. Who's the person? Who's the situation? For Moses, it was these people that he cared so deeply about, though they had not been very helpful to him as well. He cared so deeply about them. Maybe it's somebody like that that is hurting you even right now because they're hurting themselves. And we need to, instead of being upset with them or lashing out at them or responding to them with anger or frustration, we need to pray for them. And we need to ask God to work in such a way in their lives that he might bring about his healing and redeeming and restoring and renewing presence to them. Can we, can we, can we make the ask? Jesus says in Luke 11, keep on asking and you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Keep on, keep on, keep on. Don't say no for the Lord. So do you have a tent of meeting? Have you taken seriously the, the possibility that God may have put you in a place in, in the gap for someone or for some situation? Have you considered the fact that maybe you and only you can pray for a, a situation like, like nobody else can, that, that you know this circumstance or this person like nobody else does, and you know God in a unique way, and he, you respond to him, and you interact with him in a personal way, and you can pray. And if you don't, that prayer won't get prayed. Have you, have you identified a tent of meeting? Have you identified a place, a time, where you can meet with God face to face? Speak to him friend to friend. And stand in the gap for someone who needs God's touch. Well, it's not only a style, it's the content. And I just want to speak to this real quickly. But last few weeks we've heard uh, and learned about listening prayers and honest prayers and prayers for courage. And last week prayers of confession. And we've, we've, we've tried to think about putting that into practice. Today as we wrap up the series... I don't, I want to leave us with this idea. Maybe it's one of the most foundational, presence, or foundational prayers that there is, and it's simple that, simply that prayer for presence. That prayer for the presence of God among us. I talked about the hedge of protection a few weeks ago. I'm a firm believer in praying for the hedge of protection. But Moses, interestingly here, does not pray for protection. He doesn't say, okay, God... Just thanks for the angel. Protect us as we go into the promised land that you have offered to us. Would you, you know, you said you'll take care of these people. We think that you will, but protect us as we go. He doesn't pray for protection. There's another great prayer that we pray all the time. It's the prayer of provision or the prayer for God to provide for us. And that's a, a wonderful prayer as well. And some of us are praying that all the time. God. I don't have it. I don't have anything. I don't have what I need. I need you to provide for me, whether that's a material resource, whether that's just emotional strength and stability, whether that's just mental health and well-being. 
for our families, for those that we love. God, provide for us. But, but Moses here doesn't, in his most desperate moment, he doesn't pray a, pray a prayer of provision. He doesn't say, God, make sure you... Make sure you make that milk and honey really good, will you? He doesn't, he doesn't say, you know, give us some grapes along with it as we go on our journey or provide for us what we need as we go. Remember that manna and that water? Could you make sure we get some of that as well on this? And he doesn't talk about that. When it, when it all comes down to it in this just this desperate moment, when, when God seems to have, have pulled away as God's people have turned away, Moses doesn't pray for protection. He doesn't pray for provision. He prays for one thing. God, we need your presence. We need your presence. And, and he goes so far as to say, and, and you heard him say it, and it just rings out so clear, loud and clear in my heart. God, if, if you don't go with us, then we won't go. We won't take another step if you don't go with us. We are so entirely dependent on your presence with us that we dare not take another step forward. It's God's presence that gives us boldness. It's God's presence that forms our character. It's God's presence that shapes our identity. In fact, at one point there, he says, Moses says to God, for your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. It is the one thing that distinguishes us. It is the one thing that makes us more than just a a nice club, a nice group of people. It is your presence that we are entirely and completely dependent on. If you don't go with us, we're we're not going. Our family, just a couple weeks ago, we were on our way to, uh, w- to Idaho, to our cabin. We have a little family cabin up there, and we go for two weeks every summer. And I was just thinking about this, you know, there, there are some things that we would not go on that trip without. Several years ago, I forgot my golf shoes. I had to have a friend FedEx them to me so I could wear them when I play like the only two or three rounds of golf that I play all year long i got to make sure I put those things to use. I've only had them for like 15 years, and they're barely worn. Um, there, there are other things that we wouldn't think about not taking. I mean, we, we need to have our, our clothes. In fact, Kyla has this packing list for our children, and I need one myself, but she hasn't made one for me yet. But, and, and go down the list, and you got this and this and this, and got to make sure that we get everything that we need into that car because we're going to drive thousand miles to where we're going to get to and it's not easy to come back and get that so you got to take i mean there are certain things we wouldn't uh, if we began to pull out of the neighborhood and my son thomas was not in the van (laughs) we would not go to idaho we would come back and get him and make sure that we had him there are just certain things that we that all of us, when we go into our day, when we go into our, an activity, there are certain things that we dare not go without. Into a meeting, some of you who are business people or, or teachers or nurses, as you go into your, your day, and students, as you go to, to that class where uh, you have a test that day, you wouldn't go without bringing the knowledge from the study that you've put in the night before. 
or the hours before, whatever that might look like for you. Just, we wouldn't go without this. And, and, and may it be so for us with the Lord. May we not take another step. I don't know about where you are personally, but I can say this for me personally right now. Just individual right now. I just, I, I just want to make this prayer my own. God, if you don't go with me, then don't send me. I need your presence. I need it desperately. And our church board met a couple weeks ago and with a nice retreat. And we talked about all sorts of things and wanting to be the church that God's called us to be. And maybe dreams and possibilities and hopes for what God might want to do. And all that talk and all that thinking and all that stuff. I just say, God, if you don't go with us, then don't let us take a single step. Um, the Gospel of John tells us that uh, the Word was with God and the Word was God. And that this Word, this logos, this wisdom of God, that, that he, he became flesh. And he made his, his dwelling among us. He, he made his presence among us. And this same word, this same Jesus, that when he was getting ready to leave the earth, he gathered his disciples together. And John reminds us of this as well in his gospel, that Jesus pulled them together and said, I'm leaving, but when I go, another will come. And though I'm not with you, he will be with you. His presence, my presence, will be with you forever. Our God is a God who is continually extending his presence to us. At the end of the prayer, um, Moses, you know, again, I mentioned, it's like, okay, I got this, I got this, how about this? And he says to God, well, then show me your glory. Could I just get a little sign that you really are going to be with us? Just can I see your glory? And, and it's interesting what God says. I'll, I'll, sh I'll pass by you and I'll show you all my goodness. See my, show you my goodness. And, and, and God knows that if Moses actually sees him, he'll die. And so we're told that God covers his eyes and then he, and then he, you know, uncovers them just as he passes by so Moses can see him from the rear, which is a great view of God, by the way. That means he's out front. That means he's out front leading the way. But I just love this idea of God's glory and his goodness passing by. And we're going to receive the Lord's Supper here right now. And, and as we think about God's presence, and as we think about praying for God's presence, the Lord's Supper is that moment in our Christian worship when we get to celebrate God's presence with us. And we're not Roman Catholic. We don't believe that in the bread and in the juice is the literal presence of Jesus Christ. But we do believe that in this, in this supper, in these elements, that, that God's grace and his gracious presence... His spiritual presence is there. And as we eat and drink, we can receive of him in a new and a fresh way. I would invite you as you receive the elements this morning to, 
to look for God's glory and his goodness passing you by and to follow him wherever it is that he leads. Let's pray together. I'll invite our worship team and our servers to come right down here and I'll serve you first. Lord, thank you so much for uh, the, the fact that even when we turn away and find ourselves far maybe from where we intended to be, you haven't forgotten about us. And in fact, you are making yourself ever accessible and available. And if we would simply pray these prayers as Moses did, that, that we long for your presence, there's nothing that you long for more as well to show yourself. And there's some here this morning individually who are just really find themselves in an isolated place and they need a fresh sense of your, of your loving presence. And there is a church here before you, a, a family of believers, a, a, a community of faith that just says, we, we don't want to take a single step without you. Here are, here are prayers, dear Lord. Hear the prayers of your people. And thank you, God, that in Jesus you dwelled among us. You moved into our neighborhoods. You, and in your spirit, you have, you have just given us uh, your, your presence fully and powerfully and beautifully. And help us to live in that. And even as we remember Christ's death here this morning through the receiving of this bread and this juice, may we see your glory May we be filled with your presence and may we be invited in a new way to follow after you. And so we're thankful, Jesus, that it was on the night that you were betrayed that you took bread and you broke it and you gave it to your disciples and you said, this is my body broken for you, take and eat. And in the same way, you took the cup and you blessed it and you passed it. You said, this is the cup of, of forgiveness, of salvation. Take of it and drink. Each time you do, remember me. And so today we come to an open table. Everyone invited who would say that this is a desire of their hearts to know you more. We come and we take and we receive and we grow. And we do it all with thanksgiving. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.